Hello, my name is Joshua and this is Kaleidoscope, an educational podcast hosted by me and my friends Edmund and Cynthia. Our podcast is sort of a one-stop shop for all of your career advice questions answered with the help of industry insiders. We present you with a broad spectrum of professions with as many perspectives through personal testimonies as the colors of a kaleidoscope. And today our guest is Ms. Ospina, a uh, educator now in Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, yeah, Ms. Ospina, thank you very much for, for coming on and uh, um, very looking forward to having this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm just really excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. Um, and maybe you want to just give us a, a brief introduction, um, who you are, where you're from, uh, sort of your background, and, and then we'll get into the 10 questions. Sure. So my name is Sandra Spina. Like you said, um, I am an educator. I'm an educational leader. I have been now living in the Middle East for the past 10 years almost. I am originally from New York. Um, my parents are Colombian, Venezuelan. Uh, so it's a little bit of a mix. And now I've been here um, teaching and leading for in, in Saudi for the past five years. Um, and I'm really into global education, and sort of that—that's kind of my scope. Global education. Awesome, awesome! I can't wait to get into it. Uh, just before we, just before we do start, um, we have our ten questions that we ask everybody. The standard ten questions that we ask everybody. Um, yeah, just quick fire questions. So, beach or sightseeing? Sightseeing. Mm, nice. Uh, books or movies? Definitely books. I'm a bookworm. <laughs> That's very nice. Uh, your favorite ice cream flavor? Pralines and cream. Or some people call it pralines and cream. That's a debate. That's <laughs> uh, your favorite song? I Will Survive. Oh, that's that's a nice one. And you, I guess I have to say that you're the first person who knows what their favorite song is. Yeah, it's a very quick <laughs> yeah. answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. I will survive. I remember I I used to play trombone as a kid, and I was in a sort of like concert thing, orchestra thing, and we played "I Will Survive," and it was the hardest song to play in the yeah. trombone. And I remember me and my friends were all the way at the back. And so we just ran, do random stuff with our trombone. We didn't follow the <laughs> It was absolutely awful. Um, so uh, stranded on an island, what are three things you take? Yeah, so I think it would be a knife, a bucket, and some sort of like plastic or tarp. So I can use it to sort of like purify water. So I have like kind of clean water to drink. Very, very, very smart. Yeah, I like it. Uh, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would that food be? Ooh, I love rice. So I think rice would be the one on all kinds of variation of rice. I, I guess there's a lot of variations. It Very, makes sense. Yeah, of course. You wouldn't really get bored of rice, would you? No, and especially like when you look at your, you know, your background, I'm sure that, you know, you got that from your family as well. In New York, you got a lot of different cuisines, you know, rice now in Saudi. So yeah, yeah. smart. Uh, your favorite movie? Oh, it's a sappy romance movie. It's The Notebook. Ah, oh, that's great. I watched it. I watched it last year, and I, I cried. It's one of the movies that made I, I cry a lot in front of movies, but that one really hit me. It's it's beautiful though. Beautiful movie. I love it. And uh, a book. You're you're a bookworm. So, what is a book you think everyone should read? So there is, um, I have two, nonfiction and fiction. So the, the nonfiction will be uh, The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers. It's really inspirational and in how to make this, create this kind of powerful moments for people. And uh, for fiction, I like the, the House of the Spirits by Isabella Allende. Totally recommend it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Add it to the list. We get too many book recommendations. Yeah. We're going to have to catch up during uh, winter break. Definitely. I think it's I think time. that's one of my plans for winter break. Catch up a little. And uh, three people you'd have dinner with, dead or alive. Okay. So Malala will be one. 
really inspired by her. Uh, Greta, Greta Thunberg, Interesting. inspired by her. Um, and from Dead, I would say John Dewey as an educator. I would really love have to meet with him and pick on his brain. <laughs> so, yeah. It seems yeah. like a very interesting dinner. Yeah. Yeah, sure. so now we're getting on to the, I don't want to say real part of the podcast, but more uh, questions, specific, specific questions. Uh, so how would you describe your job to a 10-year-old? I would say I'm a teacher that travels around the world and, and is always looking for new ways to teach and is always looking for new cultures to explore and also sort of connect people together across the world. I would say that's, that's the, the rest, the, like a, the short version of what I like to do. That's, that's pretty inspirational, actually, yeah. when you think about it. Um, as a child, did you always think that, that you were going to be an educator or was that something later in life? Yeah, so, you know, you, your parents are always pushing you to be something or mm -hmm. another. So I remember uh, my mom would have loved for me to be a doctor and I love science. And so I knew that I had some sort of knack to teach, like I had this ability to make the hard things easy to understand. And so I knew that whatever I did in life, it has something to do with teaching, whether if I became a doctor, it would be, I would be a doctor, but I would teach also. So I always kind of knew that I like teaching. So from a young age, I, I feel that that was sort of like that passion that I had, that I needed to, to make things easy to understand. So teaching sort of always being part of what I wanted to do. And so one one question that I want to ask. So you, you talk about your background. So your parents were Venezuelan and Colombian. And then you grew up in Brooklyn. And now you're living in Saudi. What, why is it that you left the Saudi? What's the reason for that? Yeah, so sure. So, you know, I always... Um, so in the U.S., the educational uh landscape is a bit difficult you know and and for me i'm really um i i really care about creating educational systems where the student is at the center where really is more about letting students explore it is not so constricted by what we have to do and so having these opportunities around the world like many many countries that are emerging especially um, sort of like they're focusing on developing their educational systems, give you that opportunity because they're looking for other ways of doing education. They're looking for expanding on how we do education better. So that opportunity opened. So open actually in the Middle East. And at first I was in the UAE uh, when they started opening their um, sort of like technical vocational schools. And that attracted me because I'm always saying, you know, not everybody wants to do college, right? Not everybody would like to do college. So having that opportunity to to start the students young to see, okay, look, there's alternative to college. You could do vocational education. And so I was doing the curriculum for, for those schools for a bit. Then I moved, then I had the opportunity to come to Saudi where they had this sort of new innovative approach to education. And so I said, you know what, I, I'm interested in that, where we're bringing maker education into the classrooms, maker, you know, sort of STEAM focus. So I said, I think this is where I need to be at the moment. And so I came, I came here. Yeah, it, it's crazy, the, the, the opening that, or how, how Saudi has been opening itself in the, in the past years. I think it's completely crazy. My, uh, my girlfriend is actually Venezuelan as well, and she lives in, I mean, she, now she's living in Germany, but she lived in Saudi for quite a bit and her family is still there. So um, it, she, we talk about that a lot. It's sort of the, the changes that she's seen the, during when, when she lived there. And uh, yeah, just moreover, just the change that we've seen in Saudi Arabia and education must definitely be uh, a huge part of that. Have you seen changes? Because you've been there for 10 years, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Have you seen? So in the yeah. region, almost 10 years yeah. and, and, and Saudi five. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, from the first day I came five years ago to now, like one of the things now I can drive, yeah. uh, but I seen a lot of um, changes in the educational front. I definitely see a lot of efforts and money being fueled and, you know, people being brought over to sort of really um, start looking more into global education. So, 
definitely absolutely see more very more positive uh, directions i think they have very ambitious goals and can only be reached when people are educated and people are working together towards those goals so absolutely stay at nine from five years ago going off on a tangent a little bit you were talking about the educational landscape being difficult in in the states um and what do you think as an educator what is the reason that we have this huge difference in the states between college education which is world-renowned known to be you know some of the best and then the pre-k to 12 that receives quite a bit of um criticism Oh my, it's so complex. Um, I say politics is one, right? Politics definitely, even though we should separate politics from education, I think politics make their way to education and companies' interests, so, so many interests, so many interests conflicting to what actually should be a very social, noble uh, service to, to people. Uh, it doesn't happen to be that way. So, um, and I think the disconnect is because also we're afraid to try different things and there are systems that are built so way to keep certain people for certain opportunities. It, it's true, you know? So I think that things are changing. Some people are more courageous and they're trying different things. They're opening different types of schools. It's just gaining enough momentum, enough uh, political power. And, and I think people have to come together and sort of be like, this is what we need to see. This is what we want to see and gain that voice. So like we, we really need people to the young people to say, this is what we want education to be. And also if you hear your voice, if the, there's more voices together, uh, that will bring change forward. And I think that's really it. Bringing people together to work together and let their voices be heard uh, so that, you know, we do a service because Think about it like in a lot I, I really feel for people who graduate in the next 10 20 years that the schools are not preparing them for that even in college you know sometimes there's this gap of the skills that you need to the actual things that that you get in college and then when you go to work you have to reskill upskill and you're like i wasn't really prepared you know so all of that has to be changed and and it's taking place and i think it's more obvious now with the pandemic when people had to like redefine their roles and, and how do we how do we do this, you know? And so it those conversations are started and those conversations are really getting to get people together to work together and getting that change to happen absolutely and i think you know talking about the gap between what you're being taught at college and what you know you have to do in real life i think that's sort of the gap that we have realized that we have and just looking up certain statistics that we were reading before we started that more than half of undergraduates while they are in their studies or currently are studying still have absolutely no idea what they want to do with their lives because they don't actually know what the day-to-day -day job of a professional looks like yeah and that's the, the goal of our podcast yeah even just for us to be able to talk to a lot of different people uh, yeah. it just helps us so much in in filling that gap understanding what exactly the job is so going back to yeah. your career though so yeah. what was that decisive moment when you decided that okay i want to be an educator globally and do what you what you do now yeah, so for me, it's been, okay, so in 2013, 2012, that's when I made the decision. So I was doing a PhD program. Um, and so, because I always wanted to, to, you know, my education has never been really straightforward. Uh, it's taken really ups and downs and, and a lot of thinking and redefining what I wanted to do. So I was doing a PhD program at that time, but I had this sort of like, breakdown one day because you know I was reading really sad stories about like the educational system and the inequities and sort of like I asked the professor well can we change these things and he said look you can but just focus on one classroom at a time one school at a time and I felt really frustrated I said no I, I really need to do more because I, I just can't take that um, so being depressed at that moment, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look out <laughs> outside and see what what's out there. I need to see more hope. I need to see mm -hmm. that there's people working towards changing the system. And so 
I was looking for careers. I was looking for opportunities in China, opportunities everywhere, you know, like teach abroad kind of opportunities. Then I applied and it turns out that, you know, I had this interview um, to, to come in the, in the Middle East. And I said, okay, you know what? Why not? Let me try it. I'll see. I'm really interested to see how it is to teach abroad. Um, and, you know, I know that I like traveling. I know that I like different types of cultures. I knew that I wanted to make a change, like systematic change. Um, and, and, the, and they were making these systematic changes because they were opening new type of schools. Like it wasn't, you know, common to have vocational schools in the, in the region. So that was that opportunity to say, oh, they're doing something for their educational system. So I said, I, I want to be part of that change. So I'm going to go and, and apply. So I, I got, you know, I got the job and I said, okay, well, I got the job. So now what, what does that mean? You know, so am I prepared to, to kind of go global, you know, because some things that you really need uh, when you're in a global educator, you, you have to really sort of be really humble in, in that, you know, you're not going there to, 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 to implement change upon people. You're working with the people in their countries that you go, right? So you have to really have those skills of understanding people, skills to work from people from all types of countries with all different types of set of skills and training. So I, I wasn't sure what I was going to be facing until I got there. And then I realized, okay, wow. I'm dealing with all kinds of personalities, different types of um, uh, intricacies in the countries that I'm in. So that was sort of like a learning curve just to kind of know how to to deal with all different types of people and always sort of like not comparing it to your country because it's like it happens, you know, so like, oh, but we do this this way somewhere else. But like, no, you are in this new context. You have to understand and adapt. So I think adapting was a big, big one for me during this time of changing to being a global educator. And so how, how was that, that adaptation? Because I imagine that going from the U.S. to Saudi must be uh, complicated in a lot of ways. And how was it adapting to this new global world? Yeah, so I think, um, well, first of all, you just have to really be open, open-minded, open to to knowing that things are different in every place that you go. Um, sometimes there are days you you really want to cry and you're going to say, oh my God, what have I, what have I got to? But you got to see your vision and the purpose. So I think adapting helps when you have a clear vision of what you want to do and, and your purpose, right? So it's that purpose, that passion together. Because passion alone is not going to get you many places because passion is very kind of individual and your passions can change but when you purpose you're working with more people you're you're, you're really it's more it's bigger than just the passion but together it's perfect right so i think that um the adjustment it, it wasn't easy mm-hmm. uh there are days that are harder than others but when i go back to think about my passion and and my purpose i said okay I, I, I need to be here at this time. I'm going to work with people in this time. So I just need to adjust the way I do things. Um, and it just naturally comes, you know, with patience. There are lots of patience. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I'm picking up that you do have uh, quite a bit of patience, you know, and how patient you are and seeing how things will unfold and how they will work out in the future. So currently, what does a day look like in your life? Oof. Oh, so these days are quite busy. You know, I am also, so I am doing my, my second master's uh, through right. Harvard, Harvard uh, School of Education um, and all while remotely because of the pandemic and everything. So kind of had the opportunity to do it. And so I said, okay, let me do it. Let me try it out. Uh, so doing that while working full time and I'm a mother as well. So it's a, uh, it's a very busy day. So my, my day starts usually around four or five in the morning. Um, I wake up early, I read, I pray. I, I, I mean, it's just uh, sort of make my to-do list. So I'm really good at time management because that's something you have to do when you're so busy. Um, like I like to contribute also. <laughs> I like to contribute also. So I volunteer in different kind of things like uh, 
whether it's doing curriculum for organizations or if I find an opportunity to contribute to the, like a global conversation, like uh, recently we did this UNESCO chapter on building back better and, and sort of like how like some of the innovations countries have done during the pandemic. And so I had the opportunity to work with this group of people, uh, researchers here in Saudi and with UNESCO and my professor at Harvard. So it's very busy. You just have to make sure that you sort of plan it out. And, and sometimes you don't have the social, but you have to have a balance. So I think that's where I'm trying to learn now. It's like, okay, where's my, my social time? Because uh, otherwise you'll, you'll burn out, but very busy at the moment because uh, there's a lot of changes happening to work. So um, I, I'm, I'm typically by working hours are from like eight to five. And then, you know, I just have to have time for family and stuff. Uh, in other schools, it's shorter. So it really depends, you know, on, on where you're working and what institution you're working. And I, I realized we, we haven't really asked you what you studied exactly, right? Yeah, that's what I, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. What I want to so, talk about. And I think your, her, her educational path is incredibly interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> and we know a little bit more about what so, exactly yeah. you studied. So, so i tell you uh, how I started. Well, mm -hmm. even education. So I always knew I had love science. So my background, it is in science. It's in, so I have a bachelor's. Uh, in, in, in biology and uh, a bachelor's in chemistry and in education and then I got a master's in science education now I'm getting my master's in, in, in educational policy international education policy uh, so I but I started school so just going back to when you know I went in college I, I was raised I said in Venezuela so at the age of 12 my parents moved over to uh, the US and it wasn't always straightforward and easy mm -hmm. because you know I I my I, I I didn't have the documents for a long time so I'm being very like uh, vulnerable here so like many students uh, especially minorities sometimes their parents bring them over and there's visa issues and then mm -hmm. you overstay so my status change may want to when I just had graduated college. So I, I did all the right things in school. I was like one of the A, A students. And I said, oh, where do I go? I saw my, my friends applying to these fancy universities and, you know, getting in and I knew I couldn't, you know, at that moment because I couldn't get a scholarship, couldn't afford it. So my document situation got fixed. My father, you know, help, sort of helped me uh, get my documents set, fixed. And um, I remember they didn't have the money. So I started, in a community college, I started in a two-year school. I said, okay, well, maybe studying nursing or something with science. And I said, I'll, I'll do this two years. Then when I finally, you know, kind of resolved my, my status, I was able to, to go to school and got a scholarship to, to sort of pay for, for my, my four years of education. So I was debt free for a long time because I was able to get scholarships and fellowships to do research and you know sort of study what I wanted to, which was biology and chemistry. Um, and so it's like the important thing is here is like to really not give up because I, I, I remember times I had to work three jobs to pay for my education, you know, because I was like, I wasn't getting any money for it. So I was only working during the week and Saturday and Saturday, Saturday and Sundays when I went to school. So imagine, so it was like <laughs> really yeah. difficult times, but then I, you know, I got to where I did it. I finished, I, um, I completed my, 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 my bachelor's, then my master's and then charted PhD kind of give up after a year for a bit. I'll probably resume it later, not sure, because it's kind of like long life learner. But um, yeah, so now here we are. I have uh, one semester left to get my second master's. And yeah, so that's sort of like the educational path. 
congratulations first of all that's all i must say like the persistence that you have is incredibly impressive and inspiring and also special thanks you know just being that candid and vulnerable um i don't know if that helps the conversation anymore but i was in the same shoes so i was a i was a daca kid for years i started community college while i was working i just couldn't manage to do and then i moved back to the i moved back to europe because i do have a european citizenship and i just figured it's so much cheaper here so i just you know i just moved back to europe um and when that option is not available i know that it's incredibly incredibly difficult um, no, there, there's so much merit though to to what you have achieved of course it, it's just um yeah it, it's it's so hard for i mean when, when you're that young and you know i'm i mean i'm we're extremely privileged there to what you went through right and it's already hard sometimes for for us to, to just focus and study and thinking that some people have to worry about things like whether or not they're going to be able to stay in a country or working three jobs on top of that yeah there's just so much merit to it and that's when you realize how how privileged you've been to to not have to think about those things on top of studying and i think it's very interesting to hear for europeans that or those that are not you know didn't grow up in the states that people in the states would face these kinds of issues because you would think that everything just goes super easy in the states while it's actually not at all like that and over here in europe you know we have free education in a lot of cases um in a lot of countries and 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 a lot of times i think that's taken for granted in a way so yeah a little bit went off same time i think it it should almost be taken for granted yeah yeah a little bit went off on a tangent there but yeah once again like um it's very beautiful and extremely inspiring and uh, it's really a testament to how you won't give up. And it's a very beautiful mentality. Yep. So, but I think it also shows that there is not really a, <clears throat> sorry, a typical pathway into education, right? So you can come from different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. So I have had people who had corporate jobs and left corporate jobs and sort of went to into education because that's what they felt like that's where they needed to be. And so you'll see that a lot. You'll see people like second careers or educators, they sort of like kind of um, went into it because they felt like that's the need. And, and, and there's lots of programs like in the US to sort of like change and, and um, alternatives to, to, to like the way you typically will get your license um and you know so so they have that but as an educational like a global educator um it's different you'll have people who necessarily will get their training just in the job so they have a bachelor's and not necessarily have taught before they get that opportunity here like you see that especially when um when they're looking at teachers to teach english or you know some sort of like different language uh but then you'll see people who have been trained and they come, they come from their country's dissolution. Like we have lots of people from the UK and it's like, oh, the system is there, we're leaving, they're leaving, you know, to teach somewhere else because of the difficulties, again, um, they face in their educational system. So uh, yeah, it's a growing niche and you see more and more as, as, as countries get more international, you know, and, they, and then you'll see more and more people coming just to teach. So, uh, there's a lot of perks as well, I tell you, like uh, being able to travel uh, a lot and within, you know, like when you're living internationally, getting to meet people from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, usually uh, they usually comes with like you, wherever you work, they'll give you housing, they give yeah. you all these sort of benefits that you don't have to worry about when you're like, oh, where am I going to pay my and it's tax free in many countries. So. That also kind of adds to the benefits of doing that. So it could be very lucrative uh, if you're really good at saving and um, sort of like uh, have a plan in mind as well. Yeah, I, I lived in, in Lebanon. How's, for, can I just, oh, sorry. How's my, how's my, uh, how's my mic? Is it okay? Yeah, yeah it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you take okay, off your headphones? Yes, I did. I just wanted to ask... I had this question in mind for a while is is sort of what's the difference between the vocational schools and the more the, the traditional educational um, system that we're used to? Sure. sure. So the vocational schools are more focused on, on having this, the students 
sort of have a path and a job after they graduate, right after they graduate. So for example, where I was working, they, they were really focusing on having students in the nursing field because they didn't have national students in the nursing field. So they started this high school with that in mind. So like when you get, you finish high school, you can go right, right directly into nursing, uh, working in there, but also get a, a nursing degree as well as you work. So you have the skills to start a job, but you can also further that by going to, to the school they wanted you to. So it's, if it's engineering, engineering, if it's nursing, it's nursing. So it's, it's just sort of like alternative college, very focused on what they wanted them to do. So like whether it's engineering or, or, or nursing, or like if it's a paramedic. So it just gave students more of a, a direct thing of what they needed and what they knew they wanted to do, as opposed to just preparing you holistically and then you go into college and try to figure out what you want to do. So it's more purpose, like, okay, I know that I, I'm going to get this job and I'm, I'm going to, you know, if I don't need to go further in education, I can still work. I still have skills, but if I can then continue on in the path and I could do that too. I have a, I have a, sorry. sorry. I just wanted to, what's the, what's the, um, you said you're an assistant principal at, at a school there in Saudi now. Is, is that also one of these um, special schools or, or, or I don't know if special is the right word, but um, mm. and what, what kind of system is it there? Yeah, so there is, it's interesting because they're sort of trying to build their own sort of system that doesn't really, they wanted to disrupt education uh, at the school that I work in, it's called Miss School. So they wanted to sort of make a very different system altogether so it's taking time to to get there but i think and i have i think the clear vision that they will do something very different is coming so but it is still kind of like traditional in the sense of it's k-12 hopefully you know students will get some sort of um uh path to college or path to whatever it is uh, that they want to go so they are focusing and, and as they develop the new curriculum to really sort of make it really student center in the sense of like they're giving kids the opportunity to have internships starting in ninth grade and maybe earlier so sort of having them experience the world of work as they are also in school so so building those uh, kind of connections as they do internships and stuff early on um, in their high school career so um, do you think that's the future of education just us professionalizing ourselves way earlier? I think, I think you have to, like some people say, oh, but why are we doing this like path to, to work? And sort of like, is that, the, you know, sort of like a rat race? But I think it's important to be very um, realistic, you know, like what, what are people going to do? Like, yes, you have your purpose and you want to change the world, but you also need to make money and you also need to have a, you know, a, a sort of way to support yourself. So I think definitely training students very early because we don't know what the careers of the world will be. And this yeah. is the thing, right? So like before, yeah, you'll still have doctors, but technology is changing so rapidly that there are jobs that you guys don't know that they'll be in 10 years. We don't even know. Like, Look, social influencers, it's a job, it's, it's something, yeah. it, really, it, it, it just came out of nowhere. And so how do you train for that? How do you train teach, uh, teach for those kind of things, you know? So I think that giving skills is going to be more important. It's, it's going to trump kind of like the path, oh, scientists, oh, this, no, it's the skills. And then, you know, people are going to constantly learn how to learn. And I think that's important in schools. We should teach people how to learn period because it's not so much of the content i can google things you yeah. know i can find out things so easily right I don't need a teacher to tell me that but learning how to learn it's so important and so powerful because since careers are changing so rapidly being able to skill and upskill is an important tool an important way to do things so i think just learning how to learn how to you know, be self, um, like regulate yourself and in, in, in achieving your goals and, and sort of being very open and, and, and um, 
adaptable is going to be one of those skills that we really most focus on schools. Yeah, I, I really, really, really love that. I think that that whole learning to learn thing, it just makes sense because you, when you're starting school, you're going to be on the job market, I don't know, 20 years later. And it's true. We have no, there's no way we're going to predict what the demand for jobs is or what jobs are going to appear, what jobs are going to disappear. It, it just makes so much sense, especially exactly. now. world is moving faster, new technologies, all that. It just makes sense. But I do have a question about that. So as you were describing vocational schools, um, that it's just a much, much smoother path into employment. What that sounds like to me, though, that I would have to go into vocational school knowing what I want to do. So how early do we have to, yeah. you know, start teaching children or allowing them to figure out what is that they want to do so they can make that decision? Yeah, so that's difficult. But you yeah. see, um, if people do this sort of like personalized path and, and allow kids to sort of experiment and start looking at what makes them passionate, what makes them sort of like, what problems are there in the world to fix? What can I do? Like, what can I do to make the place better? Uh, if you bring that into the curriculum, if you allow kids to ask questions and really be curious, naturally you'll come up to something that you really like right so like um my kid for example likes music and and that's something that he really wants to pursue and only you you know that because you allow them to to sort of like ask questions and be like but i want to try this out and then and then but even if you know that early on you also have to teach them that you don't have to stay one path for the rest of your life. That's not really what it is like, because we change and I believe people change and, and, and we just sort of like can't change paths, you know, like it, it's just, you know, I guess with the cost of college and with the cost of it, it is just a problem, right? Like you can really, oh my God, can I afford to go another four years? Can I afford to, to do this all over again? Um, but if we really have more opportunities where the, the skills are free to learn and and sort of like um, you are open to trying things and then it wouldn't be so important to teach them so early because then you know it's it it's a lifelong learning you know so it didn't really matter what I did yesterday because I could do something different tomorrow right because I could learn the skills um, but I, I will say, if you want to experiment early, just let them experiment, ask questions, put a curriculum where kids actually are um, sort of um, brought into to the, the, the opportunity to, to try many, many, many different things and, and just sort of like decide what they want to do and how they want to contribute to the world. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just very interesting how, you know, when you look at a child and their development that when they're little, um, they will choose a profession based on their passion. And once they grasp an understanding of finances, it changes to, okay, what job is going to pay me the most? And and I, I just wish that that wasn't that limitation that people pick jobs based on, you know, salaries that they're not necessarily good at and they don't enjoy, but they, but based on passion. And maybe this could be a way to mm. allow people to explore their passions. Yeah. More. But also I think yeah. when, when you're a kid, often the jobs you like think like I wanted to be an architect as a kid, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'll be an architect, but that's because I didn't understand what an architect, ar architect did. Right. And so once I understood what an architect did, well, I was like, well, that's just not for me. Right. And so that's why I think that this system where you're going to uh, have internships earlier on is that, that that was what you said. Right. Like, oh, sure. how like how are the kids going to orient themselves? Right. Because even we're not sure what we want to do. But if we were put in an educational system like that, that pushed us to like experience real work things. And maybe we would have known and for, maybe that's the way to go. For sure, for sure. But I'm just talking about, you know, that some people, let's say as children are passionate about things that they know are not going to pay well. So especially in the States, um, you know, when you're interested in arts or interested in more like things in the humanities side, then a lot of times you will get like pushback that, oh, well, that is not going to pay. And yeah. then, you know what I mean? What yeah. is your opinion on it? Yes. So for me, oh gosh, I, 
definitely went to education and some people is like, oh, you're not going to make a fortune on it. <laughs> but it's, look, for me, I, I love this Japanese philosophy, the Ikigai. Are you guys familiar with it? Absolutely not. Okay, so I love it. I think everybody should uh, look it up. So basically, what Ikigai, this philosophy, uh, it's sort of like, okay, when people have, you are passionate about something, right? Uh, something that you get can get paid for doing, not necessarily a fortune, but you can live off of. It's uh, something that is sort of like a, what the world needs. So you think about what does the world need? So it's bigger than you, right? What is something that you really like to do and you're good at? And what is something that you can also get paid for? And in the middle of that, like right in the center of that is, is sort of like your purpose. So mm. that's your life purpose. So it's very powerful because it's driven by purpose as opposed to whether you get money or not, right? So, but it, it usually, if you're doing something that the world needs, definitely it's going to be a demand for what you're doing. It, and it's going to fulfill you personally. So I feel that using that sort of lens helps a lot in making the best decision. And so I've done that. So for example, I work with some girls once um, I'm helping them they're in high school and they're like, oh, what am I going to do? And it's that time. It's like even starts early, not, not even college. It starts in high school, and especially like if you're like, like overachieving and you're like, what, what am I going to do? So I was sat with her and I said, okay, look, let's do this exercise with Ikigai. So think about, I wanted to make a list of things that you're really good at. So she made her list of what she's really good at. And I said, okay, now what are things that you feel the world needs? Like what, what are some of the needs in the world? Like, you know, climate change or uh, anything you feel like the world is, is really struggling with at the moment. Make a list of that. And I said, okay, now let's make a list of things that you can get paid for in those sort of things. Like what are some jobs related to what the world needs and something that you might be good at, right? And so we highlighted it and we, we narrow our, our sort of list down into a couple of things. I said, oh, I'm really interested to know like, okay, so if I want to be an entrepreneur, what do I need to be an entrepreneur? So then we researched then the skills of entrepreneurs, people that are entrepreneurs. And so that sort of gave us an idea of many different sort of um, paths that she could take now on. And, and now she's like, oh, feeling better because she knows that if she did that, she'll be helping the world. She'll be doing something that she might be good at. And at the same time, it's something that will give her some money too as well, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like I'm that. pretty it's sure. Very pragmatic, and you knew about it, Josh. When yeah. she talked about it, you seemed very proud. That's what was going through my mind as well. Like, okay, after, you know, after our call, I am going to make my list and I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that as well. Sure. So Montessori uh, here, especially here, it's, it's more geared, not that they do it through high school and up, and up and, and, and you have some Montessori high schools as well. But in here, particularly in my context, it's focused mostly in early childhood. So it's sort of like um, very child-centered, the kids exploring, testing materials, and, and sort of giving them that opportunity to really learn through doing things, uh, to learn by, by you know, what the the interaction with them and the materials that they're they have been crafted for them to explore so i think the vocational i guess the connection there is is basically more of doing stuff right so vocational is something that you're very hands-on it's very uh service oriented like you're doing something right like it's 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 very 
very much like I learned to program a computer, right? And that's very hands-on. So that's, I guess, the connection between them and the sense of Montessori. It's really the kid center playing, structure play, but at the same time, interacting with materials and stuff. And in vocational schools, is really centered on the kids learning particular skills, learning particular ways of doing things. And um, for example, in the in the one that I was working, I was doing the curriculum for the girls that will go into nursing. And my friend was working on the girls that were going into the digital path and like digital literacy. And so they, they were doing more like, oh, learning how to use, for example, Adobe, maybe learning how to record or learning how to, to have a podcast. And, kind of those skills that you acquire. So very targeted on, on something that they needed to acquire, the skills they needed to acquire. That makes sense. So I think we touched a little bit on one of the misconceptions about you know teaching as a profession, which was that you're not going to make a fortune, but are there any other things that you wish that people would know about your job or common misconceptions? Yeah, so... Uh, People always hate on teachers because we have a summer off. <laughs> like, oh, you have a certain, you, you don't work for two, three months, but we do. So during this time, our summer uh, time off, we usually plan, we usually do a lot of PDs. This is where we do our professional development, or we just need to really relax. I think teaching is a very stressful career. It's dealing with people takes a lot of energy and, and, when you really give yourself, like every time you're going into a classroom, you sort of have to let, like, you know, sort of be the psychologist, be the mother, be the, yeah. you, we wear so many hats yeah. in one typical interaction, dealing with students, they have their own, their own baggage that comes to school, it doesn't stop at school, right? They come and bring their own issues. So we have to do so many things and this takes a toll mentally, right? So uh those months really help us to sort of like refresh re-energize to do it all over again you know so um so the misconception is that oh summer off easy job it isn't it isn't at all it's it's something that you we we deal with people and dealing with people every day it's 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 tiresome you know it gets it's uh it, we have to have that time to recharge and re-energize and learn and so constantly learning so Teachers are constant lifelong learners because things change. Yeah. We need to adjust. Just look at the pandemic. Yeah. Many people, if you didn't have educate like technology, like some people are scared technology, and if you didn't really use it before, it's just completely new. And teaching online is a completely new set of skills that we had to learn. Absolutely. Not only the kids, but we as teachers. So it's it's been mm. it's been hard, but but we're doing it. So it's it's just that attitude, like. You never stop learning. I think it's something that we need to tell people. And teachers, we get master's degrees, you know, like that's the minimum. So like we're yeah. really highly educated. <laughs> so it's not an easy job and not an easy career. It takes time and passion and dedication and patience to be teachers. I think I think um, what I've seen a lot, at least in, in France, probably probably internationally, I'm just more connected to France is uh that uh, COVID changed a lot of the this point of view of like teaching is an easy job, like parents having their kids 24 seven. And then I, I think a lot of people realize, oh, okay, so having 25 of those in a class or however much yeah. you have, it's, that's not an easy job. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. You know, there were funny pictures about this when uh, like mothers, would, you know, start with a glass of wine and it's like, I'm surprised how teachers don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, and yeah. I agree a lot with uh, also the online teaching being a completely different set of skills. I agree with that completely. Uh, I think that's something we've seen a lot transitioning from in-person to online. And I think we owe yeah. thanks to all of our educators that are really trying their best to make that transition. But yeah. you were talking about wearing, you know, many hats in, you know, even one limited conversation or interaction. So what do you think, what are those personality traits that make you successful and that make, you know, good teachers, good teachers? Yes. So they have to be really centered on the well-being of the student. Like you have to be really caring about this person as a whole. Because you're not going to, the honest truth, you're not going to like every student you see. Because we don't <laughs> like every person we, 
we meet. And yeah. that's just the fact of life. But we have to love them regardless, right? So even learning to love people that we might not even like, because like that. that's it. That's the real yeah. life. You know, you they, they're in your you, you have that responsibility, yeah. and it's your responsibility. And so you just have to have that that understanding that I'm gonna make an effort to love this person no matter how challenging they might be. And so and also having that um, like. I care for this person as a whole, you know, this person might have this thing that I don't like, but then there's 10 other things that I like about this person and this person has potential. So always knowing that this, that the person has potential to do better and always being able to, to push that person, help them get there. Right. So the job of the educator is not to, to put things in your head, but helping you figure those things out. So the trade is, helping people figure things out. I guess that's that's the biggest, as a, a good educators are always guys that help people get there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that's uh, that those characteristics uh, apply to teachers that teach at all levels? Do you think it's more centered to like the classes you teach or do you think a college teacher needs to have those traits as well or is it different? I, I think it, it goes all levels because look, look even college professors, I, I noticed that the best ones are really the ones that care about you, that they, they really yeah. mentor you and, and really want to, to push you further and be like, I'll connect you with this, do this, uh, yeah. try this, what about this, you know, and, and, and make that human connection, not just listen, I'm going to here to teach you A to Z and whether you learn or not, that's not my problem. Those that you don't learn from them, right? You yeah. learn from people that make the connection and go the extra mile to, to be there for you. Uh, and so, and those are the teachers that I remember and I'm inspired yeah. by and want to be like, you know, so it's, it's just knowing that you can get better. Like I, if I reflect upon myself being a teacher, when I started to now, I said, Oh my God, I, I could have been better, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's just that reflection of, okay, every day I try to be better and what will make me a better teacher. And, and if I need to learn something new, I'm going to learn it because I owe it to the people that I work for, you know? So it's, it's, you know, it's one of those service uh, careers that you really working for people, you know, so you have to know what they need and, and provide that. That's a very mm -hmm. humble mentality. Okay. I have a, I have a question. Just a, how would you, or how do you deal with the difficult students? <laughs> oh, it's hard. <laughs> so how do you deal with it? It's, it's, it really depends on where you work, right? So different schools have different policies on how to deal with them, but in a, in my classroom, you know, we all have norms, and we're supposed to sort of like come together with these norms and follow the norms. But I think that the first step is to ask them what what's going on, sort of really connect with them, right? Sometimes, as I said, everybody brings their own baggage into school and, and we don't know what's happening, what makes people react a certain way. Sometimes they're just bored out of their mind because maybe their curriculum is not uh, inspiring them and, and they, they know more, more, you know? So like, so you really have to know because every person is different. So how are you going to react or how they, they, they work? Like what, why are they being disruptive might be different. So how do you deal with them? It's going to be different, right? It's not like one cookie cutter way to deal with, with their yeah. situation. But I think just sort of find out what's going on. Like it could be that they're bored and then you could, you could, you know, step it up in your teaching, help them sort of have, involve them more like, in the, in, the, in, the, in the things that you do sort of like, so their voice is being heard and they can see it in the way you teach. Uh, also it could be, might be something at home, you know? So, so you help them to understand and, and sort of find out what is going on. So this is where those hats come in place. Like, okay, if I need to be more like nurturing, do I, I'll be like a mom to you. Or if I need to sort of like connect you to somebody in the school who can help you, then I'll do that. So it's always really caring and showing that you care and be consistent, you know, like um, students can, you know, I, people can read you and they know from a mile where you're being genuine or not. So if you're being genuine, you know, you put the extra mile and I know, like I, I put the extra mile for the teachers that I really connect with, you know, and then that I feel that they understand me. 
Yeah. I think before we ask our last question, the bonus question, I just wanted to ask you, uh, a couple of times you mentioned that, uh, you know, you're in Saudi and for now. So where do you see yourself in the future? Is I guess my question. Ooh, so, so now I involve my children more because they're older. So I asked my kids, like, okay, where do you want us to go next? You know, like before I was making those decisions, but I, I need to think about them too. Uh, so I am, they're, they're really like one of my kids is like really looking into Japan. He's like, he loves Japan and he's like, he wants mm -hmm. to go to Japan. Um, my daughter is more about like Canada. So I'm really looking forward to see, I don't, I really don't know, like where does the need take me, right? So next is more about, whether I maybe Europe, maybe I, I really don't know yet. I, I sort of go where the need is growing, where I see opportunities, where I see I can really make a difference and I can make like bring value. That's where I'll go. So it, it's just really I'm, I'm not close to a certain um, place. I'm open, you know, I'm open to 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 where I can go next. I'm not sorry, I'm not sure how old your son is, but Josh lived in Japan as a child. So maybe, you know, if if your son would have any specific questions, I'm pretty sure that John, John, sorry, Josh could, uh, Josh could answer some that, you know, what was his perception of Japan? Yeah, I think, but I mean, I think, I think Asia in general is, is, is it's something you have to, you have to um, experience, you know, there's yeah. so so much to love about it and it's so interesting and i think uh yeah i mean i think i'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, opportunities for education as well so yeah, yeah. i'm looking forward to, to following your, your yeah, future absolutely. Steps. yeah i just have another second to last question if All that's right. okay uh it's a bit more sure. I, I don't know uh just about saudi saudi arabia uh, from from what i understand I mean, it, it used to be nothing, right? Just like, I mean, basically desert, right? Then they found petrol and it, it grew crazy, right? And, and so now they're, they're putting a lot of emphasis on their education to try and diversify their, their fields so that they don't rely on, uh, on petrol this, as much, right? And so how, how do you see the future of Saudi Arabia? Do you think they're going to be able to succeed to transform their economy into something new or? Yeah. Absolutely. So they're focusing a lot on, on moving away from that to a more human centered, like human mm -hmm. knowledge economy. So it's about harvesting people, people's skills and, and job like people. Right. So focusing on that. So they are spending a lot of upskilling, reskilling job at people's uh, careers, focusing a lot on that. There's a big new thing on, on, on making sustainable cities, making sustainable places. Uh, so this whole this whole green initiative of other alternative ways of using energy. So you'll see a lot of that happening and it's opening up to a lot of international um, companies to come and invest, yeah. you know, so that it, it's very diverse. Like Saudi in itself is very diverse, like uh, uh, landscape. So you'll see that and it, it's going to be really fairly quick um movement because people are interested you know and, and there's a lot of investment yeah. lots of opportunities uh, so i i will see like it was just announced a couple of weeks ago that they'll have the first non-profit city you know so it's it's just going to be lots of things happening right now that's very exciting too i think we've messed up yeah firsthand especially yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I it's a country i'm really interested in I'd I'd like to go there as well. I'd see myself spending like a few years in Saudi Arabia. Cool. I think it's uh, yeah. just so so interesting that the transformation that the country's been through, and uh, I mean the, just the the political system as well. It's not something we we see a lot, and just the fact of how well it works, I think, is a I don't know a testament to how much Occidental countries and ex Occidental like political systems can learn from. Uh, different different things yeah very very interesting yeah. went off on a tangent there a bit yeah 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 <laughs> but I, I i just i don't know it's just we don't we don't always get the opportunity to talk no, to someone that, very, that very witnesses that that changed from from the grounds up right because i mean you're you're teaching the the future uh saudi arabians so i think you're you're probably one of the best people to ask for sure about this
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, so we want to go to the last question now, which is the question we ask to all of our guests to sort of close out the, the episode, uh, which is what, what is one piece of advice you'd give to your 20-year-old self? Oof, I would say to always... Uh, wow, it's hard. What do I want to say? So many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just to 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 have a lot of. Well, let me see. How do I say this? Not to give up. So, like, it's always yeah. there's always going to be hard moments in your life, and sometimes you just want to give it all up. But it's important to keep on going, and. You know, just don't give up. Keep on going. This will always find their way. Yes, I think that's the advice I would say. I like oh, that. Yeah. Very like positive. That. Very, very positive. Yes. Yeah. So thank you very, very much for being with us today. It was our honor and pleasure to have you. It was It was really, really great. Thank I'm you so very much. happy with how it went. Uh, you're very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, I think your opinion on education is is amazing i agree with it completely and i wish it's going to be shared a lot more yes uh in the future because we, we need minds like you to think about the future of our education i think education the education system is one of the one of the 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 longest standing systems that haven't had a complete revolution you know and i think if yeah. this if your if your vision of of, of um education in the future is you know even somewhat resemblant then then i'm i'm very positive about the future confident to send my children Thank in the future yeah yeah no it's very very great <laughs> we really enjoyed talking to you thank you very great yeah thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for coming on i was so happy and yeah well thank you yeah. i was sorry i was so happy to be invited and i really enjoy your conversations really really thank you and i wish you guys good luck and uh all your inspirations and dreams get to be realized. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you much. very much. And we will let you know as soon as we are uploading the episode. So you can see it in its final form. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. For Thank, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.